Thank you so much, Alyssa, for reading scripture today. So great to see you on a beautiful Lord's Day. And Jake, I didn't know that you felt like a 60-year-old in a 16-year-old body. My wife says, I sometimes act like a six-year-old in a 66-year-old body. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, whenever I go to the Jersey Shore, I can't wait to see the ocean. After a stressful two-hour drive, I love crossing the bridge onto the island and lowering the windows so that I can smell the salt air. And when I finally walk on the path through the dunes, I begin to hear the ocean before I see it. And then, at once, its beauty hits me. Always different than the last time, but never without its own power to overwhelm. Now, the ocean was there all the time, but I wasn't. And so today, I would like to take you on a similar journey to a magnificent place. We were there last week when we were reminded of what God has done for us as Christians. As Pastor Jen explained, Paul's first section of this marvelous letter to the church at Ephesus. But first, let's do a little setting of the scene, shall we? Because some of you might think, Ephesus, where is that? Well, let's take a look. Ephesus is right on the coast of western Turkey. In Bible times, it wasn't called Turkey, it was called Asia or we may know it as Asia Minor. It was a province of the Roman Empire. And Ephesus was one of the five great cities along the sea that were port cities. What's interesting and amazing is that they had everything that we think of as moderners. They had their entertainment with a theater here that seats 25,000 people. I, I've been there. I know. I've seen it. It's amazing. It's built right into the side of a hill. And from the very top, you can look out. If you could see a clear day, you'd see the Aegean Sea. It's kind of silted up over the years. The main way, the Agora, went out to the sea, to the port, and then it went the other way, like a cross. And maybe you can see the ruins there of pillars and shops, malls, where people would buy and sell and talk. And then there's also a destroyed temple. Here's an artist's reconstruction of what it probably looked like. They say it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, a temple dedicated to the female goddess Artemis the goddess of fertility, of sexuality. Ephesus, not a whole lot different than America, <laughs> am I right? They had culture, fun, 
sports, theater, entertainment, religion, the gods. The Roman gods, however, made people feel a little bit on edge, as you heard Pastor Jin last week talk about the imperial cult. Because the idea was, not only is the emperor a god, but there's all sorts of gods in the Roman pantheon, and they influence your life, whether you know it or not. So the best you can do is to get on the side of the good, or the good side of the god, or gods, but you never know which god may be upset that day and lash out at you. You see, it was into that world where they believed they were influenced by these whimsical gods that Paul brought the gospel. You can read about it in the book of Acts. And these new Christians had to kind of be re-educated about the God of Scripture. Their lives, Paul says, shouldn't be marked by insecurity of a God who you may not offend. You, you may, you may not. Who knows what's going to happen? Instead, Paul writes in the first part of the letter that God is truly pleased with his people. And last week, we learned that God actually has a master plan for each one of our lives that fills that deep longing to be secure, fully believing who we are in Christ frees us from having to live for ourselves and releases us to live for other people. So, I ask, isn't that the God that you want to know even more? And that's what this chapter is all about. You see, God has showered us with his spiritual benefits, and this week we will see that knowing him better is the greatest of all those benefits. So, let's take a look at this marvelous passage. Verses 15, 16, and 17 once again say, For this very reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So Paul starts this paragraph. It's actually one long sentence, just like the first part, verses 1 through 14, are one long sentence in the original language. And he says, I'm so thrilled to know that after you believed in Jesus, you continued to show your faith in Jesus. And you continue to show your love for God's family. And so he thanks God for them. That's really what makes the heart of a spiritual mentor sing. <laughs> Knowing that someone follows Jesus, not because they have to, but because they really want to. And then Paul says, I'm going to pray for you because having faith and love is good, but it's not enough. There's more. And the more that he prays for is knowing God better, verse 18 says. 
knowing God. You know, Paul's not the one to invent that phrase. That's a phrase found way back in the Old Testament. Time and time again, this idea of a personal relationship with God is everywhere. Here's a verse from Jeremiah chapter 9 where God says through the prophet, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord. And when you come to the New Testament and you listen to Jesus in John chapter 17 pray to his Father right before he's crucified, he's talking about his mission on earth and the people that he has saved or he will save on Good Friday. And this is what he says at the beginning of the prayer, Lord, I've come to bring eternal life to your people. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's what eternal life is. It's not just living forever when you die. Everyone will live forever when they die. Eternal life is not eternal existence. Eternal life means to be in a loving relationship with God Almighty. Eternal death is the opposite. And so that's why Paul can say in Philippians 3, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Does that resonate with you? Like Jake said, our church hopefully is a welcoming community. It's a spiritual family. But if you are only connecting with each other on this level, that's a good start, <laughs> but that's not why we're here. We're here because first we have been connected to God Almighty. We know Him and everything flows from that relationship. So if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you don't know Him, not know about, that's the start. Know personally, I really ask you, to do that or to think about doing that while I'm talking this morning. Because knowing God is possible only when God enables it. Now, what? Yeah, knowing God is not like knowing computer science or knowing literature. You don't just take a class, learn it, get tested on it, and pass, and you got it. You must ask for God to show himself to you. You see, the Bible says it this way. Jesus said, unless someone is born again, 
They can't even see the kingdom of God. Do you hear the image of birth, new birth? So think about it. Did you get together with your parents and decide your birthday? Or your hair color? Or, of course not. You received it. You received being born. New life was given to you. In the same way, regeneration, that's what the Bible calls getting a new heart, getting a new life from God. It's a gift of God. Only when God turns the light switch on can you then look to Jesus and live. There's mystery to that, but there's truth to that because we are dead and blind and totally unable to take one step in the direction of God unless He first takes that step toward us. We love Him because He first, He first loved us. In the same way, God continues to turn the light switches on and we must ask Him to do it. It's not your smarts or your education or your inquisitiveness gets closer to God, it's only when God pulls back the curtain and invites you in that you can come. That's why this passage is a prayer that God would do it, that God would illuminate, enlighten the eyes of our hearts to see Him. Illumination, that's a gift from God. We come as beggars asking to receive. That's the posture that you approach the Almighty with. And if you wonder, well, what is that like? What does it mean to know God? Paul gives us three ways we can, could you say, go into the inner chambers of the knowledge of God. And, and he, he, he kind of lists them one, two, three. Let me read here in verses 18 through 19. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that, number one, you may know the hope to which he has called you. Two, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Three, his incomparably great power for us who believe. That's what Paul says is a way to experience more of our great God. Let's talk about these three. First, knowing God better means gaining a deeper understanding of our hope, our future. So if I were to ask you, what are you hoping for? I know some of you might be saying uh, for the service to be over soon. Okay, okay, I grant that. Uh, I hope it's a great picnic this afternoon. Yes, I hope, right? You could list them off. What is your ultimate hope? What is your true foundational hope? And I hope if, I hope if you are a Christian, you would say, I want to see Jesus. 
Paul calls that our blessed hope. Because you see, the Bible says someday we're going to wake up, not to a beautiful Sunday morning, but to a beautiful eternal morning. Why? Because Jesus will return to this planet in the same body that he left with, in the same body he will have forever. He will give new bodies to all his people, and we will be with him together forever on a new earth. Wow, I can't wait. If you ask, well, what's that like? The Bible doesn't tell a lot. In the book of Revelation, if you look at the last two chapters, there's a lot of symbolic language there and a lot of negations. Like, it's not this, this, this. There's no death. There's no pain. There's no weeping. There's no sin. The old order of things is passed away, John tells us. That's a hope. That's an ultimate hope. That's a deep hope for a restored condition that we've never experienced, but we started to, and we want God to bring it on more when we see Jesus. And you know what Paul does here? He says, I want you to pray that that hope gets a bigger grip on your soul. Now, in just a moment, I'm actually going to ask us to take a silent moment to pray for someone about that. But before we do that, can I just say that we have a prayer list that's generated every week that you submit prayer requests through to the church office, you know, and most of the requests that are on that two-page list deal with physical issues of suffering, illness, maybe death. If you've seen it, you know what I mean, right? And it's really important to pray for people to be healed because God can heal through natural or supernatural means. But wouldn't praying also for their heart and their hope be just as important, if not more important? What if in addition to praying for physical needs, we also include a prayer for their spiritual enlightenment? Because, you see, if God deepens their hope, wouldn't that be even better than God healing their body? Here's an example. Uh, we pray for someone to be healed. Maybe they have a serious illness, and the illness only gets worse. So we say, God, heal them. If that's all we say, and that's all the person is hoping for, and God doesn't do it, uh, God, are you there? Or God, are you angry with me? Do I not have enough faith to believe? You know that damnable teaching that says you have to shape up your life first and then God will say, ah, good job, now I'll answer your prayer. But what if we prayed for healing and enlightenment for a robust hope in the future? Can you see what would happen to someone whose body continues to suffer? Their heart doesn't. 
because their hope is deepened in what really will happen and that they won't get washed away by the waves of doubt or uncertainty. So let's take 30 seconds right now. You think of someone who needs their hope deepened and pray for them before God. Our Father, we we do ask that each one of us would have a more robust imagination fueled by your word and by your spirit enlightening our hearts about the beautiful future that you have for us so that we will be able to say, knowing God is enough even more than enough. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The second way that Paul unpacks knowing God better is in verse 18, and uh, I'm calling it a deeper understanding of our value. Let me read it again. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, and now that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And when I read that, preparing for the sermon, I thought, oh, well, that's kind of the same thing that he just said, right? Because our inheritance is everything God will give us when Jesus returns. I mean, we've got it now, but knowing it now, it's kind of like everything I just said. (laughs) And then I started to look at the books that are written to help explain Scripture better, and I saw I was wrong. Because it doesn't say the riches of our inheritance. It says the riches of God's, his inheritance. See that in verse 18? So then you ask the question, what is God's inheritance? And that's a phrase that is used many times in the Old Testament for God's people. You see, in the ancient world, kings would look at their power and their status in their armies or in their wealth Even today, a business owner may value their assets or a person may value their possessions, but God values his people. He treasures them far above the universe that he's created. We are God's treasure. We are his inheritance. Now, does that... If, that, if you let that sink in, does that overwhelm you? 
Last week, Pastor Jin said something, and I asked him this week. I said, I couldn't write fast enough, or I couldn't click on my phone fast enough. Um, but what was that thing you said? And, and he sent it to me, so here's what he said. To the degree that you admire God, to the degree that you think he is praiseworthy, to the degree that you love him, his affirmation of you is felt that much deeper and it becomes a healing balm to your soul. The more God-centered you are, when God speaks, we listen. And what he says is, you are my inheritance. Let that sink down deep in your soul so that when you know God better and better, you will say, knowing God is enough. It's more than enough. So let's take 30 seconds. Think of someone you know that needs to have a more robust affirmation of God's love for them. Let's pray. Father, it's so easy to get our identity from what we do or from the words of other people. I pray that all of us would know more and more that you treasure us, not because of ourselves, but because of Christ's blood that gives us all the righteousness and beauty that we will ever need. In his name we pray, amen. The third and final way that Paul says, here's how I pray for people to know God better. It's, it's uh, found there in verses 18 and 19. Let me read one more time. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may, one, know the hope to which he has called you, Two, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. And now three. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That's what Paul wants us to pray for other people about. And for sure, if for others, for ourselves. God's power. God you may know this, God is always at work everywhere, all the time, and he's always working in our lives. And Paul says, I want you to know that, to be aware of that, to recognize that. What kind of power is this? Well, he, Paul identifies it. I mean, he doesn't just say, you know, God gave you daily bread. So, see, thank him for that. No, he, Paul takes almost as many verses now to describe the kind of power that he's talking about. Let me read verses 19 through 23. 
The power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God's power is above all the other powers. It's resurrection power. So that means his power is more influential than YouTube and the media and politicians and people with a switch on a nuclear device and rich people who control the financial markets. Well, that's what Paul says. Now, I'm going to be honest in that sense. I'm, I hope I'm always honest. I shouldn't say it that way, right? I'm going to be honest with you. Oh, so you were lying up to this point? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. I'm going to say something that I normally wouldn't say in a sermon. That when I was preparing for this, I'm thinking, I just don't see it, Lord. That's amazing resurrection power. When Jesus rose from the dead, you reversed the norm. Nobody resurrects from the dead. How is that power going to be in my life? If I cut myself, <laughs> it doesn't heal when I pray. I have to stop the bleeding and put a Band-Aid on it and hope that it doesn't get infected, let alone resurrection from the dead. You see where my mind is going? Like, can this really be true? let alone my body, the world around us, all the sin and wickedness and evil and the stuff that doesn't work right and the oppression that we feel. And you're saying, pray, that you can see the resurrection power of Jesus? Well, how am I going to preach that? Maybe I should end my sermon before I get there and let Jim take it the next week. I'm kidding. So the more I thought and prayed about it, and I thought, oh. I remembered also that in Scripture, not in this passage, but in the rest of the New Testament, it says that the resurrection power of Jesus is not going to come front and center like a big explosion now. It will, when Jesus returns someday, in power, it says, and great glory. But before that, his power kind of leaks in. It bubbles up. Jesus said it this way. It's like yeast that you put into dough. You don't see it, but if you leave the dough, it'll influence it but it won't overwhelm it. So then I say, oh, so what you're, what you're asking us to pray for is that, let's just say, the fruit of the Spirit of God who lives in us would be seen in a world of death and corruption. I think this is it. So when you crash your car and you're ready to 
smash the person who crashed into you, but instead the fruit of the Spirit called peace starts to bubble up in your heart. That's life overtaking death. That's resurrection power supplanting the power of death and the flesh. Or when your loved one is dying and suddenly instead of the sorrow and the questions that come up bubbles joy because you know that death is not the final word and you know that all things are working together for the good of you and them and everything and light comes into a dark place. Or maybe when your child seems distant because you had that discussion and they haven't talked to you in three years and you pray for them and you hope and all your emotions are upset and suddenly the fruit of the Spirit called forbearance comes in and you take a deep breath and you say, steady as she goes. God, I want to be patient. Or when your plans don't go the way you want. <laughs> and instead of frustration, the fruit of the Spirit shines self-control. You see how I could keep going? Somebody insults you and you want to lash back and up bubbles gentleness because a harsh word can explode things, but a gentle word turns away anger. And all around the world, as all God's people are experiencing God's power, Paul says, pray that you may know it. It's there. Let it flow. And as you see it, you will give praise to Jesus. J.I. Packer, years ago now, I think in the 70s, wrote a book called Knowing God. Have you heard of it? If you haven't, you ought to put it on your wish list. I have a copy here if you want to see it. It's a classic. He wrote, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. <laughs> so knowing that God's power is at work in you and in work, at work in others should make us say with joy, knowing God is enough. It's more than enough. Let's take 30 seconds and ask, you ask God to show himself strong for someone else who needs to know their, the power of God in them. So, Lord, for all of us, 
we need your power. We need to see it. We need to see it in other people and affirm it. Thank you that you are at work in us, both to will and to work for your good pleasure. In our Savior's name we pray. Amen. Well, we have uh, prayed three times, short prayers today. If you would like to join us on Tuesday nights for an online Zoom prayer meeting, we do it from 7 to 8 every Tuesday. And uh, you can come in when you want to. I know sometimes I was kind of scrambling, trying to throw some dinner down, and I got there a little late. But that's okay if you don't want to join by video. Just listen. Or just turn the video off, and then you can pray that way too. The link is in the email that you got for today's Sunday Bulletin. So feel free to mark it down, set an alarm for Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. Prayer will help us form our church as one church with one message of hope in the gospel of Christ. Hope you can see how that, that will do that. So when I go to the, see the ocean, you know, and I'm always overwhelmed by the experience. Well, when you want to know God, you will never, ever be disappointed. He will always answer the prayer to know him better. As in Narnia, let's go further up, further in, by knowing God better together. And so now we come with one more prayer, Lord asking you that our church as one may know you better with a better hope, with a better value of ourselves, and with a better awareness of your power flowing through us. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.